Chelik Yudzayin, that's volume 17 of Lekut HaSichas, the fourth Sicha for Parshas Emor. In this Sicha, we will cover the concept of Simcha of Yantif, that's the, the mitzvah of rejoicing on Yantif in general, and especially the Simcha, the rejoicing on the festival of Sukkos, and most specifically during the Simcha space Hashareva, literally the joy of the joying of the water, and also the concept, the idea of simcha shel mitzvah, the joy, the rejoicing that one has to have in each and every single mitzvah that one observes. Now, the connection to this week's parsha, because in our parsha it discusses the festivals. It goes through the list of all the festivals. In fact, a major part of this week's parsha is something that we read almost on every single festival of the major festivals. Something that really distinguishes the festivals versus Shabbos is the concept of joy. Another thing that's worth introducing, just to get familiar with this, is the idea of Simchas Beis HaSheva. In the Beis HaMikdash in the Holy Temple, there was a special celebration, one that was extremely over-the-top, so to speak, celebrating the drawing of the water, literally, which means that since on Sukkot they would pour water as uh, part of the libations by the offering of the of the sacrifices that means in addition to the wine which was the common typical libation that one they would offer every day alongside the sacrifice they also would pour water to celebrate the water and this water was drawn in the evening it was drawing at night and for the entire night they would celebrate the simchat beta shaeva quote the joy of the house of drawing the drawing of the water another thing that's worth mentioning so we can uh, flow through the sikha a lot easier is the idea the concept that a positive commandment a mitzvah asay is doicha it has the power to push away to push aside a mitzvah loisa say a negative command in other words when the torah gives us a positive commandment to do something in a specific time it overrides even a pre-existing negative commandment uh, the, the, the common example would be the Torah commands us that when a baby boy is born, Hashmini on the eighth day, you're supposed to perform the circumcision. What if that eighth day falls out on Shabbos or on Yontif, where typically you cannot do elective surgery, only life-saving surgery? So could you go ahead with doing this bris milah? And the answer is absolutely yes. Because if it's being performed on the eighth day, in other words, if the commandment of the Torah of making the circumcision on the eighth day is being fulfilled, then it overrides the negative commandment of not doing any melacha, not doing any uh, uh, performance of tasks on Shabbos and Yantif. So in our parsha, let's get into the sikh in our parsha, chapter 23, verse 40. It says, should rejoice before Hashem your God for seven days. So the Ramam learns out from this, Maimonides learns out from this, that on, Simch, on Sukkot there was, quote, an added rejoicing, an extra simcha. He calls it a simcha yeseira, an extra joy, more so than in any other of the festivals. And let's read through the actual language of the Ramam. He writes like this, Although we are required to rejoice on all festivals, there was a special rejoicing on the sukkahs in the Beis HaMikdash. As it says, the, quote, the verse that we just quoted, How does this? How was this done, he says? On the eve of Sukkot, that means the day preceding the actual festival, they prepared 
a special raised section, which is like a balcony, a gallery for the women. And then a low, the lower section was for the men, so they don't mix. Then they would begin to celebrate on the conclusion, meaning on the conclusion of the first days of the festival. That's when they would begin to celebrate. They would not do it on the first night and the actual festival, but rather on after the festival. And they would do it with means of, you know, instruments and all kinds, you know, flutes and instruments and all kinds of matters of rejoicing, which would be forbidden, understandably, on the festival itself. And he says, then they would continue throughout every day of the intermediate days and uh, every day after the afternoon offering, meaning after they would offer the final offering of the day, the final sacrifice, they would begin to rejoice and they go through the entire night. We'll skip another halacha, go jump over to halacha number 14. Over there, the Raman continues and he says, it is a mitzvah, it is a duty to observe this celebration as much as possible. However, this wasn't carried out by each and every individual, by just anybody, by the, for example, Amiha Aretz, by the ignorant people, or by the simpletons. Rather, he says, it was, quote, the great scholars, number one. Number two, the Rashi Yeshivot, which is the heads of the, of, the, of the Torah academies. Number three, the Sanhedrin, which is the high court. Number four, the Hasidim, which means the pious ones, people who stood out in their piety. Number five, he says, the elders, the elders amongst the Jews. And number six, men of good deed. Men of, you know, distinguished men of good deed. They would be the ones to dance, to clap their hands, to play the music and to sing. And the rest of the people, says the Rambam, they would stand around and watch and listen. So from the wording in the Rambam, and especially from the fact that he brings this verse, it seems that the Rambam is emphasizing that the reason for this extra joy on Sukkot is not just because of the drawing of the water, like I mentioned previously, but rather it has some biblical significance, meaning since he brings this verse to back up his statement, it would seem from the Rambam that he holds that this is like a part, this is a like a section, so to speak, of the actual observance of the festivity of the holiday of Sukkot. Well, if this is the case, here come some questions as we typically would have in a sikha. Number one, if this celebration, if this extra festivities was is actually not because of the drawing of the water, but because of a biblical mandate, because you're bringing a verse for it, then the question is, how come it doesn't override the festival. In other words, how come do we wait for the second night, meaning once Yom Tif, once the actual festival is out, once it's Motza'eh Achag, why do we wait till then in order to start the celebrations because they would use music and, 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 and all kinds of musical instruments. And in our days, it would be, imagine, electricity like amplifiers, PA systems and lights and things like that. How come wait till then? Isn't there a rule that when you have a mitzvah say when you have a positive command from the Torah and you're observing it in the right time, in the right place, that it overrides the negative commandment? See, if it would be just merely because of the drawing of the water, which is somewhat of a, of a rabbinic thing, then okay, we understand that it doesn't have the power to override. But why wouldn't we do this beginning with the first night based on the fact that the Rambam brings this from the verse and thus it would seem to come out that it should be celebrated for seven, seven days.
Another thing is, the Rambam is not a storybook. The Rambam doesn't just tell us, you know, interesting information, especially when it's superfluous information. Why is it important? How is it inherent in this halacha to know that the way they did it is they would start building first the gallery, the that is the balconies for the for the women's section already on the eve prior to the uh, uh, to the uh, beginning of Sukkot of the holiday of Sukkot. Why? How is this? You know, how is this a crucial point in appreciating and understanding the halacha? Another question. What would be the reason that it's only specific people, designated people, would be the ones to do the actual celebration? If the mitzvah is a biblical mandate, then everybody should be doing it. There should be no distinction between one Jew and another. Take, for example, the mitzvah of tefillin. Is there a difference between a simple Jew, a child who just turned bar mitzvah, who maybe barely just knows how to read and knows how to say the words of the prayers, he has the same obligation as the greatest rabbi, as the greatest rabbi, as the head of the Sanhedrin, because it's a biblical obligation, it's a biblical precept to put on tefillin. So if there's a biblical precept, how is it possible that there's a distinction between who does it and who doesn't get to do it? Or who just stands around and watches the others do it? And now another question. It seems that the source of the Rambam's words, it just almost seems so obvious that it comes from the Mishnah. The Mishnah describes that not everybody took part in the actual celebration, meaning actively did the celebrating. Rather, the Mishnah says that uh, it was the Hasidim, pious ones, Anshei Maisa, men of great deed, and Bali Shuva. But here the Rambam seems to add various other categories and he doesn't mention anything about Balichuva, which is mentioned there in the Gemara in the Brisa actually which expounds on the Mishnah also adds the, the, the Balichuva. so why wouldn't he mention that Balichuva is people who repented people who are changing their ways coming back to Judaism why wouldn't he mention all of this now it's another interesting thing that after the Rambam concludes all of this describing what took place on Sukkot the Rambam then explains, uh, I'm sorry, then he continues and he says that the joy with which a, per, which a person derives from doing a mitzvah is, comes from the love that one, that in other words, that one expresses their love that they have for Hashem, for having commanded us the mitzvah, this is a great service. This is a great virtue that someone can have in the service of Hashem. And he says that whoever humbles oneself and lowers oneself to do the mitzvahs with greater joy, he is the one that's considered to be great and honorable, and he is the true servant of Hashem. And for this he brings, he quotes the verse that King David said, the words that he said to his wife Michal, who chastised him, said, how can he lower himself? How can he, so to speak, desecrate this honor of a king by dancing like a little child in front of the Ark of Hashem, if you recall the story? And he said over there, I'll even contempt believe more than this, and I'll be more humble in my eyes, and I still wouldn't have done enough to honor Hashem's thing, Hashem's honor. So we need to understand, why is the Rambam bring this here? We're talking about the laws of Yom Tif. We're talking about the laws of Simcha, of joy of Yom Tif in general, and particularly the Yom Tif of Sukkot, the festival of Sukkot. How does the concept, the idea of joy of a mitzvah, how does it connect to here? True, 
there, there, we're talking about the concept of joy and the concept of joy in a mitzvah. But why here? And if it connects here, why didn't he already mention mention it way back when we spoke about the joy of Yontef in general? Why did he wait for this point when we're speaking about specifically about the joy, the extra joy of Sukkot? The answer to all this is as follows. When the Rambam brings this verse as his source for why we have the quote extra, added joy of Sukkot, the Rambam is not suggesting that this is an ab- added obligation, as if to speak another com- another command, if to say another commandment, an added commandment of the six hundred thirteen commandments. No, that's not what the Rambam is suggesting. Rather, what he's suggesting is by virtue of the fact that we see that the Torah makes an extra mention of joy in reference to the festival of Sukkot, that tells us that the Torah is underscoring, the Torah is emphasizing the concept of joy when it comes to Sukkot. And that's why he says there was, quote, a simcha yisera, an added joy. He's not telling us that there's another kind of joy, there's another mitzvah of joy. He's just saying that there was an increased joy triggered by the virtue of the fact that the Torah highlights joy when it comes to when it comes to um, when it comes to uh, Sukkot, and now this can be very clearly understood that this is not another mitzvah; rather, it's an emphasis on the already existing mitzvah that there is of joy, and the mitzvah of joy on Yontif in general pertains to things that are not of the nature of Chilul Yantif, that desecrate the Yantif. In other words, they don't override in any way those things that are forbidden to be done on Yantif, to play instruments and so on and so forth. On Simcha, where there is extra joy, so one has to do whatever it takes to do extra, to be extra joyous. However, once Yantif is out, in other words, once Yantif has ended, and now with the intermediary days, now we can also implement and we can employ the added joy also through such instruments that would be forbidden to be implemented on Yantif. And now we can also understand the greater the point that the Ramam adds by telling us, describing to us that they built the gallery, the women's gallery, the balconies, that they built it prior to Sukkot. You see, because going according to this way of thinking, maintaining this premise, that this is not a biblical obligation to do the extra joy on Sukkot. Rather, it's a a suggestion by virtue of the fact that the Torah emphasizes it. In other words, it highlights it and and, and makes it even, it it, it underscores it. It makes it it a stronger, uh, a need for a stronger simcha that tells us that it not only doesn't override the rules of Yomtev, of the festival in general, like there would be Shabbos and Yomtev, but even that it does not override, perhaps, even the rules of Chol HaMoed. We know that a Chol HaMoed, one should not engage in any work unless it's something that is absolutely necessary or there's a great loss that can be incurred if you're not going to do engage in that in that task, in that work. But otherwise, if it can be done before Yomtev, then you do it before Yomtev. Here the Rambam proves that point and emphasizes that which the Rebbe is explaining in the Rambam in his own words by describing this. He's not just telling us a story, but he's proving actually that his, and maintaining that his point of view is actually correct. 
And now we can understand why there was a difference, a distinction in the type of people that actively participated in this joy. You see, since this mitzvah is not an outright obligation for which we should say that everybody has to do it regardless of their level of observance and regardless of their level of, of um, intellectual or, or emotional aptitude when it comes to performing the mitzvahs, rather this is one that is really an added thing. When you add something, you have to know how to add. When you increase in a mitzvah, when you want to add the extra flavor, you really have to know what you're doing. In other words, you have to have the special feeling in the heart, or what the Rebbe calls the emotional aptitude of really knowing how, and therefore effectively applying this, quote, added joy. Otherwise, it won't be doing the job. If you think about it, take the words of the Torah. The Torah says, and you, it's not saying, and you shall rejoice, because then it would sound like a commandment, but it says, and you will rejoice. That means you will add extra joy. The whole point is the added specialness of this mitzvah, the added joy in this mitzvah. That is something which is in the capacity of the emotions of the heart. And therefore, only it's, it's natural that only somebody who's on a higher level who really has the ability, really has the capacity for such extra spiritual emotion, for this, this extra emotion of the heart that can really truly emphasize and truly express this joy that they should be the ones that are, you know, charged with doing this. And therefore, since they know how to add, they're the ones who add in the joy. And now we can understand why the Rambam details all these specific virtues, these specific categories, and we'll see how each and every one brings to the table, so to speak, another added element uh, that the other doesn't bring. In other words, you could have just said in general, the great Jews or the great rabbis, but he specifies, he gives us certain classes. You see, the Rebbe says that if we see the source where the Ramam got, got it from, we will appreciate why he enumerates specifically these categories of great Jews of great rabbis. You see, the Rebbe says when you look in the Talmud, when the Talmud describes the festivities, the events of Simchat Beit HaSheva, of the great rejoicing that took place in the Beis HaMikdash, when you look at the, at, at the description of the Talmud, although it's obvious that all of the sages participated, all of the Tanaic sages participated, but yet when the Talmud describes it, it only describes several of them by name. In other words, several of them are described specifically by name. The others are just kind of included by association. Why would the Talmud describe these by name? This is where the Rambam, so to speak, got his idea from, that if you... If you analyze those specific rabbis that are particularly named in conjunction with the celebration of Sukkot, we'll get an appreciation of the type of people, the category of, of, of virtue that was needed, that was that was that was applied to know who exactly took play took part in this celebration. So let's go for it. The first one we find in the in the in the Talmud, it says that 
Rabbi Yehoshua Bechananya said, Rabbi Shumachananya would say that when we would celebrate the Zichapes Sheva, we wouldn't quote, taste even the taste of sleep. Why? We didn't go to sleep. We just put, the, put their heads down, literally leaning on, the, on their friend's shoulder and just catch a quick catnap and that was enough for them. They didn't even taste what it's like to go lay down on the bed and go to sleep or lay down on the sofa and go to sleep. Now, who is this Rabbi Yeshua ben Hananya? It's obvious that he wasn't the only one that experienced this, but yet the Talmud attributes to him having said this. In other words, it points him out by name. Rabbi Yeshua ben Hananya was famous. Elsewhere in the Talmud, it describes him as the one who engaged in debate with the great Greek philosophers. The Talmud calls them Chachme Atuna, the wise men of Athens. They were the great, great, great philosophers. And since he was the one who was chosen amongst all the Jewish sages to be the ones to engage with them, it's obvious that he was, quote, Gadol be Israel. He was a great one amongst the wise men. And that was the first description the Ramam gave, Gidolei HaChachamim, the great ones amongst the wise ones, the great wise men. The next one is, the Talmud describes that, quote, they would say about Rabbi Shimon Gamliel that when he would rejoice in the rejoicing of he would take eight torches of fire and he would juggle them. Who was this Rabbi Shimon Gamliel? He was the Nasi of the Sanhedrin. He was the head of the Sanhedrin. So in other words, who was he? He represented Rabban Shimon Gamliel. He represented the whole Sanhedrin. So it's obvious from this that who partook in this and he was the head of them, the whole Sanhedrin. Thus, the second description of the Rambam, that the, the men of the Sanhedrin, the judges of the Sanhedrin, participated. The next one description in the Talmud, it says, quote, they would say about Hillel Hazaken, Hillel the Elder, that when he would rejoice in Sikhar Sheva, he would say the following, if I'm, if I'm not here, then who's here? Whatever that means. But how did the Talmud refer to him? Not just as Hillel, we would know who Hillel is. In the Tanaic period, there's only one Hillel, the first one rather refer to him as Hillel Azakin. So this tells us that the virtue of elder plays a role here. Thus, the Rambam's description of the elders. Later, we have in the Yerushalmi, in the, Yerushal, in the, in the, 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 the Talmud Yerushalmi, over there it says, Ben Yehoid Sadak, the son of, the son of Yehoid Sadak, he would pride himself in his vaulting, the way he would be able to jump and make all kinds of acrobatic moves, to rejoice in Sivchas Pesheshev. Now, who's this Ben Yehoi Tzadok? We don't know much about him. But we do find in the list of the Tanaic sages, we do find a Rabbi Shimon Ben Yehoi Tzadok, and this must be him. This must be him. Now, if he's called Rabbi, Rabbi, it says elsewhere in the Talmud that in order for one to be called Rabbi, there had to be a Rosh Yeshiva. They had to be the head of a Torah academy. Thus, the Ramam says... The Russian yeshivas, the heads of the Torah academies, the deans of the Talmudical academies. Now it's interesting, just as a side note, why then doesn't it call him here Rabbi Yehoshua? Why does it call him Ben Yehoshua? Well, the answer is because he was somewhat priding himself with this, there was also a need to counterbalance with some humility, and thus he didn't call they, he didn't call himself Rabbi Shimon. He would only call himself Ben Yehoi Tzadok. And we find a precedent with this with other sages too, Rabbi Chana and Rabbi Chanina, for example, and so on. And this is where the Raman took from the Rashi Yeshiva. The question, however, is why did he not enumerate Baalei Tshuva, which is explicitly in the Brisa, in the Tanaic source, which expounds on the Mishnah? 
Well, the Rebbe says, this too goes according to the Rambam's shita, the Rambam's opinion, that when we say chasidim, you see, there's a debate between the Rambam and Rashi. Rashi says that a chasid, a chasid meaning a pious person, means somebody who is pious. He was always on the straight and narrow. Somebody who's pious all along. He is pious. However, the Rambam, if you look in Hilchas Deus, over there, the Rambam says, quote, that anybody that is engaged in piety, meaning anybody who controls himself with increased restrictions, he is called a chassid. Now, this can include, number one, somebody who was always pious. He was always pious. But also includes already, by default, the Baal Tshuva. What is inherent about a Baal Tshuva? That he's correcting his ways. He's strict with himself. And he's trying to go all the way to the right. Trying to be extra good, extra pious. Well, in the Rambam's book, he is considered a chassid. Thus, when the Rambam says chassidim, that already includes um, the Bali Tshuva. And therefore, he had no need to explicitly mention it individually. Now we'll come to understand the connection to Simcha Shel Mitzvah, the rejoicing of a mitzvah. You see, because over here we were not talking about an obligation. Remember, the explanation of the Rebbe is that this was not an obligation that we were discussing here. A, a biblical mandate, a biblical precept. Rather, it was, in, it was like, so to speak, a suggestion for an increase, for an added element to the mitzvah. Now that is inherently what a Simcha Shel Mitzvah is. A Simcha Shel Mitzvah is something which you're not obligated in, but encouraged to increasingly grow in one's adherence to a mitzvah, in one's diligence to a point that one rejoices in the mitzvah above and beyond the actual obligation, the, 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 the basic elementary obligation of the mitzvah. And if you really think about it, it also answers the question why he mentions it here, because this is like an ascending scale. Spe First he speaks about Simchat Yom Tif. The joy of Yontif, which is an obligation. Then he goes to Simcha of Sukkot, of Beis HaShoeva, which is already an added thing. It's a, so to speak, a suggestive added thing. And from there he comes to Simcha Shal Mitzvah, because if you think about it, Simcha Shal Mitzvah is even greater than the Simcha of Simcha of Beis HaShoeva. Why? Because in Simcha's Beis HaShoeva, you're already in a mode of Simcha. It's already a Yontif to begin with. You're already on Sukkot, you're already in Zman Simcha Seinu. And it quote, in the time of our rejoicing. Thus, to increase in Simcha doesn't come that hard. It, it's not, so to speak, so much out of the ordinary. It's not extraordinary. However, on a regular day, when one performs a mitzvah, for one to have true Simcha Shal Mitzvah, that is something extraordinary, even above and beyond that. And this is the lesson for all of us, because some make the mistake that, you know, when it is already a Yom Tif, I'm already in a mode of simcha, then I can be happy, I can rejoice as a Jew in the mitzvahs that I do and so on. But on a regular day, on a regular average, as we say, Monday or Tuesday, that it should be expected for me as a Jew to truly rejoice in the fact that I'm a Jew and in every mitzvah that I do, over here we see from the Rambam that yes, that is inherently what every single Jew should strive for. That is not only to be joyful when the Torah expects you to be joyful, not demands you to be joyful, not only to be joyful when the Torah suggests you to be joyful, but even to be joyful the Simcha Shal Mitzvah in each and every single mitzvah that we do.